Uh, tonight we're going to continue our, our series uh, in worship, looking at uh, what the Bible says going from Genesis to Revelation on worship. Tonight, the title is The Prophets. We're looking at some excerpts from the, the prophetic writings, The Prophets on, on Worship. And we're going to start in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 29. And do any of the kids here tonight know what book comes before Isaiah? Can anybody tell me? Are any of the kids paying attention tonight? My kids paying attention? Anybody know what comes before Isaiah? Who, who was, who said that? Song of Solomon, that's right, good. She was guessing, well she guessed right. <laughs> Great job, Abigail, that's awesome. Yeah, so, so uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 29. And we're going to look at this, this uh, quote here that Isaiah gives about worship. And then later on, we're going to see in Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus takes this and says that it, it is being fulfilled, that, that what Isaiah spoke about is happening again in his day. And it's something that we have to be very careful that doesn't happen in our day as well. As we are worshipers of the true and the living God, as, as the first few commandments that, that God gives in the Ten Commandments is that, number one, that we would have no other gods before him. Number two, that we wouldn't make any idols and, and bow down to idols. And so from, from the very beginning, the first commands that God gives to his people have to do with worship. That is primarily our, our, our identity is to be that we worship the true and the living God, that we worship the creator God, that there is only one true God, though there are many different little g gods, though there are dif different idols that people would try to, to make and, and to bow down and worship, that there is only one God, and we worship that God. And God has not left us without uh, instructions on, on what true worship looks like and proper worship looks like. And so for those who worship the true and the living God, it's, it's incumbent upon us to know what his revelation teaches us about how he wants to be worshiped. And that's what we see here in Isaiah chapter 29. And so let's read. We're just going to look at one verse here from Isaiah chapter 29. Read this, we'll pray, and then we'll use this for our outline this evening. So Isaiah 29 and verse 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me, that's, that's their worship, their worship of me is expressed in commandments taught by men. This people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while at the same time their hearts are far from me and their fear of me, their worship of me is expressed in commandments taught by men. So Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, as we just spend the next few moments meditating on your word, which is divine truth, your word, which is revelation, your word, which is light. 
Lord, that it would shine forth into our lives, illuminate our understanding, give us ears to hear and eyes to see by your spirit. Lord, we can't uh, understand anything apart from you. We can't, we can't know anything truly and fully apart from you and from your revelation and, and your spirit pressing these truths into our hearts. So Lord, what we ask, Lord, that you would do that for us tonight. Humbly, we come to your word and we ask that you would teach us and instruct us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. There's three things that is, is described here of these people in Isaiah's day. And, and Isaiah is prophesying to the people of Judah, the nation of Judah, some 700-ish years before Christ comes. And this is before the exile. This is before God's people are led into captivity because of their false worship, because of their idolatry, that God brings judgment upon Jerusalem and leads his people into exile for a period of 70 years. Then he brings them back and establishes them in the land before Christ comes. So this is the, that's the place where this is taking place. And so Isaiah is sent as a prophet to call God's people back to faithfulness, to call God's people back to, to repent, to turn of their idolatry, to turn from their unfaithfulness and to worship him rightly, to orient their worship properly. As you read through the prophets, primarily their, their concern is with the right worship of God. That God's people have, have gone astray and, and, and the prophets use all kinds of different metaphors, all kinds of different language, language to describe, word pictures to describe this unfaithfulness. Talking about Israel as an unfaithful bride, talking about Israel as an unfaithful child, talking about Israel as a, a plant that was planted in a garden that isn't producing the right kind of fruit, that is sort of a wild vine, all of these, these images, but all of them are, are, are primarily about the worship of God, calling God's people back, calling God's people to repentance. And we see here that the first thing, and we, I've got three points for us tonight from this passage. The first is that this people, they honor God with their lips. They honor God with their lips. They honor God with their words. They pay lip service to God. They, they, they are very quick to say, we worship God, we love God, we serve the Lord. He is our God, he is our deliverer. He is the one who brought us out of Egypt. He is the one that planted us in the promised land. We worship Yahweh, we worship the one true and living God. They honor God with their lips and they draw near with their mouth. And this is an easy thing to do. It's very easy to pay lip service to God. It's very easy to say the right things. In fact, if you, you understand this, it's a lot easier to say that you love someone than to actually love them. It's a lot harder to actually follow up the words with action. It's very easy to say you love someone. At times it's very hard. It, it requires sacrifice to love someone. So it's easy to pay lip service to God in the same way. It requires almost no effort really to sing songs, to engage in the outward religious expression of worship. We've talked about this all throughout the series that God is looking for something more than simply the external. 
looking for something more than simply the, the, what we can see and what we can hear in worship. And here we see that this people in Isaiah's day that are, are worshiping idols at the same time, that they are at, at, at the, the worst point in Israel's history, even offering to these idols their own children in, in sacrifice to these false gods. Yet at the same time, paying lip service to God, honoring God with their lips. And so Amos, another prophet later, just a, a few pages down in, in the Old Testament. Can anybody tell me what, any of the kids tell me what book of the Bible comes before Amos? They have to start in Genesis. Uh, Ruth, uh, no, sorry. Yes. Joel. Joel. That's right, Hunter. Hayden, Hayden, sorry, Hayden. That's right, Hayden. Did your dad help you? He goes quiet. <laughs> Silence. That's right, Joel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Amos chapter 5. The prophet Amos speaks about this. In verse 21, Amos 5, 21. Because their hearts are far from him, they're only honoring with him with their lips. Listen to what God says about the worship of his people. Verse 21, God says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Again, this is a people that have perfected the outward expression of worship. There are people who have perfected the ritual. They've perfected the time and the place. They've got it down. They've got their offerings down. They've, and this is intricate worship. This is elaborate worship that they're putting on this show. Not only is it sacrifice, but it's burnt offerings and it's burnt incense. It involves ritual cleansing here. It involves the dietary code of the Old Testament and fellowship offerings, and grain offerings, and drink offerings. And here it says that they're even involved in worship with music. But God calls their songs noise. And he says that they're the melody of their harps, that he will not listen to them. And the prophets, their message is, is stark, it's startling, it's, it's confrontational, it's bold. They've perfected this show of worship. But like Isaiah says, their hearts are far from me. And so the prophets call them out. The prophets say it's all a show. There's there's no substance behind it. It's only a pretense. There's truly no sincerity of heart. It's only the lips that their worship is not from their heart. It's only external. Now how can God know this? How can the prophets know what's going on in people's hearts. Well, the Bible tells us all over the place that God sees our hearts. 
Now, when, of course, you know when I talk about our heart, I'm not talking about the, the vessel, the organ that pumps blood through your body. I'm talking about the seat of your emotions, the core of who you are, your soul, deep down, the truth, the reality of who you are as a person. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the heart. You remember what God told to the prophet Samuel when, when he sent Samuel to anoint a new king of Israel? You remember how Samuel saw the first son of Jesse and said, oh man, look at this guy. He's a stud. He's head and shoulders above everybody. He's good looking. He's smart. He's, he's, he's got to be God's pick. God says, no, I've rejected him. And he tells Samuel, he says, you look on his height and his stature, but I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the what? The heart. God sees the heart. God sees your heart. God sees my heart. We, we, we only see what we can see with our natural eyes. We, we, we only see what, 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 what is available to us with our five senses, but the Lord sees beyond that. The Lord sees to the core of our being. Jeremiah 17, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That the Lord not only looks on our hearts, but the Lord searches our hearts. The, the Lord sees down deep into the deepest crevices of our hearts. The, the Lord sees what nobody else sees. He not only searches the heart, the, the deepest seat of our emotions, but it says here he also searches our minds. He tests the minds that the Lord knows our, even our thoughts. I don't know about you, but that puts the fear of God in me. It puts the fear of God in me. Because it's not hard to put on a show. It's, it's not hard to make everybody think that you've got it all together. It can be done. But in doing so, guess who we don't fool? We don't feel, fool God. He sees the very thoughts that we think. The very thoughts that we think. It's a sobering idea. It's a sobering thought. He searches the heart. He tests the mind. I wonder how often we live in that reality that God sees even our thoughts. Psalm 44, verse 21, it says this, Would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. The, the things that nobody else knows, guess who knows it? God knows. God knows it. The things that nobody else sees, the things that, that, that is only on the inside, God sees it. And the message that Isaiah brings and that Amos brings to God's people is that he has searched their hearts and he has weighed them in the balance and he has found them to be wanting. That, that on the scales of, of eternity, 
They honor, number one, him with their lips, but number two, their hearts are far from him. It's a good thing to honor God with your lips, amen? It's a good thing to sing him praises. It's a good thing to worship him with the music. It's a good thing to be ushered into his presence. But it is a bad thing to do that if your heart is not towards him. These people, they, they've, they've perfected the show of worship. They've got it down to a science. They know when to fade the lights up. They know when to send the smoke in. They, they, they know when to fade up the B3 organ to get the, the fields going. They, they've got it down to a science. But God says, your hearts are far from me. This isn't only what Isaiah says to his generation, but this is also what Jesus says to to the generation that he lived in. So that's Matthew chapter 15. Flip over there with me to Matthew 15. Jesus enters into conflict with the religious leaders of his day, just like the prophets of old were in conflict with the priests of their day as they polluted worship. Now, Jesus comes on the scene, again, calling people back to faithfulness. Verse 15, it sets up the context of this, or or verse 1 of chapter 15, the context of where Jesus makes this statement. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said to him, why do your disciples break, notice here, not break the commandment of God, but break what? The tradition of the elders. For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now here they had developed a tradition that before you eat, you must ceremonially cleanse your hands in a religious ceremony. They're not talking about germs and bacteria and using dial to, to, to clean off the, 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 the things that would cause you to be ill before you uh, would, would eat something with dirty hands. No, they're talking about ceremonial washing, which in Jesus' day, when you don't have access to clean running water all the time, it could actually, depending on the water that you use before you eat, could actually make your, your hands more dirty by putting them in this stagnant water. Nevertheless, they've developed this tradition that because they live in a world that's full of Gentiles, that before they eat, they have to wash themselves ceremonially. This was not the commandment of God. This was the tradition of the elders. And Jesus teaches his disciples to stop following all these people's religious rules that are just an outward expression of religiosity, but again, their hearts are far from God. And so the Pharisees come and they say, Jesus, your disciples are eating, but they're not washing their hands. And Jesus says this to them. He says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So so they've, they've added all of these rules, they've added all of these traditions that make themselves look very righteous on the outside. 
But nevertheless, they, in doing those, they, they themselves violate God's command. For God commanded, honor your father and mother. Can any of the kids tell me what commandment that is? Honor your father and mother? Five. Yeah, good. They all raised their hand, five. I'm not sure if they all raised their hand to tell me or if they all just raised their hand, but yes, to honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, so this is what their, their traditions are, you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he needs not honor his father and mother. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people dishonors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus comes to his generation, generation and he says, the same thing has happened here. The same thing that happened in Old Testament Israel is happening here again. A people who honor me with their lips, but again, their hearts are far from me. And again, this is not just Israel in, in, in Jesus' day. I think that you could make an argument that this is the state of the professing church in America today. That that's happening right here, right now. It's not just in Isaiah's day. It's not just happened in Jesus' day. It's happening in our day. Did you know that 64% of Americans today claim to be Christian? Claim to be followers of Christ? That's as of 2020, 64%. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I live in a country where 64% love and serve and worship and bow the knee to Jesus Christ. When you go into the stores, does it seem like they're worshiping another God? Yes, it does. Does it seem like there's some idols in our land today? Yes, it does. It does not seem like 64% of people worship Christ. Again, 50 years ago, you know what that number was? Just 50 years ago, which as someone who's 41, that wasn't that long ago. 50 years ago, that number was 90%. 90% would have said, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian. How did we go from 90% 50 years ago to 64% today, but living in a world where the, the, the reality is much, much less? It's because we have people who will honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They will profess faith, but they do not possess faith. They will call themselves Christian, but they have no heart towards God whatsoever. This is why Jesus, in the book of Revelation, the, the message he had to the church of Ephesus was that you have abandoned your first love. You have abandoned your first love. You have walked away. Your, your heart has grown cold. 
your heart has grown cold, honoring God with our lips, but having a heart that is far from him. Jesus says this has happened here in my day. Isaiah prophesied about it in his day some 700 years before Christ, and now here 2,000 years after Christ. We live in a culture that its heart has grown far from God. That, that there may be still some places in our culture where people pay lip service to God. But God doesn't just care about the externals. God cares truly about the hearts of people. I'm going to read another passage from the prophets tonight. It's Joel chapter 2. What is the, what is the remedy here? What is the remedy Joel chapter 2, of course, Joel comes right before Amos. So Joel, Amos, Joel chapter 2. Here Joel gives us, he, he calls the people back. And in chapter 2, verse 12, he gives the remedy. That in, in this kind of culture, in this kind of place, there is still hope. Because we serve a very merciful God. Joel chapter 2 verse 12 it says, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. And when you come, he says, come with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Verse 13, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. There is always hope. With God. There's always hope. He is gracious and He is merciful and He is not quick to anger. He's not a quick tempered God. He is slow to anger. He is merciful and patient. If, if, if God was not a patient God, not a single one of us would be here today. I think we can all say amen to that. God is gracious, he is merciful. So, so what's the remedy? What does God call us to? Now, he says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. See, that's the issue with God. He's God. He's not going to settle for second. He's not going to settle for third. He's not going to settle for 90%. He wants all of you. And he deserves all of you. All of your heart. This is where Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God, that, that God is our preoccupying thought. He is, he is the direction of our lives. He is what our hearts are aiming towards. He is, he is, it is in him that we live and move and have our being. Return to him. Return to me, he says, with all of your hearts, with fasting and weeping and mourning, that we come broken because of sin. We don't come proud. We don't come arrogant. We don't come on our own efforts or our own merits. We come broken before the Lord. In verse 13, he says this. This is such a profound thought. He says, to rend 
your hearts and not your garments. He says, don't just come to me and put on an outward show of repentance. Don't just come to me and and make a show of it. No, rend your hearts. In in their day, when when they would be broken over something, when when there would be tragedy that would strike, when when, when something terrible would happen, when someone would be uh, overwhelmed with grief, what they would do is they would rend their clothes. They would tear their clothes. They would put ashes on their head. That, That was their outward expression of grief. But here, the prophet Joel says, he says, it's not about the outward expression, it's about your heart. Let your heart be broken. Let your heart be torn up. Let your heart be rended over your sin and to come back to the Lord. This is where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what it means to be poor in spirit, to, to, to recognize our total poverty before God. It's not blessed are the poor. It's blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know their spiritual condition before a righteous and holy God. Blessed are those, he goes on to say, blessed are they who mourn. For they will be comforted to to mourn over our spiritual poverty before God. This is the remedy for a heart that's far from God to to recognize that we've drifted, to recognize that we've grown cold, to recognize that our hearts have grown hard and calloused and, and to allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to penetrate our hearts and to break our hearts and to humble ourselves before God to recognize our spiritual poverty before God. The Apostle Paul, he, he always walked with this. He, he never got over the grace of God. Everywhere he went, he told his story, he told his testimony. He writes to, to Timothy that he is the chief of sinners, that God saved him to be a, a demonstration of his grace. He he never got over the grace of God. He never got over that God loved him, that God called him, that God saved him, that God forgave him. He always walked with that. We too, likewise, should, should never get over what Christ has done for us. Again, this is why of, uh, uh, over a year ago, we started taking communion every Sunday to remind us of our spiritual condition without Christ. We have a tendency to to, to drift from Christ, to drift from the cross, to drift from grace, to to think that we are something. Without him, we are naked, we are poor, we are broken. But in Christ, we are a new creation. In Christ, we are redeemed, forgiven, restored, set free. We should always cling to that cross because it grounds us in the reality of who we are and who he is. Amen. This is why David in Psalm 51, David had done some horrible things. Amen. Sinned with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, murdered him, took Bathsheba to be his wife, thought he got away with the whole thing. 
The prophet Nathan comes to him, confronts him because of his sin, and he is broken before the Lord. This is why David is called a man after God's own heart. Not because he was a perfect man. He was just as sinful as you and me, but his heart was oriented towards God's heart. That when confronted with his sin, and in Psalm 51, he pins his song, his, his letter, his, his words of repentance. And he says these profound words, against you and you alone have I sinned. That, that his sin before God was the issue. Yes, he had sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he had sinned against Uriah. But compared to the offense before God, he rightly understood against you and you alone have I sinned. He says, return to me the joy of your salvation. He pours out this letter of heartbreak over his sin. So Isaiah, back to our outline. Lips that honor him, hearts that are far from him. But then this results in something. It goes somewhere. It produces something. It, producing, it produces teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. That's what Jesus said. You, you dishonor the commandments of God to keep these traditions of men. That you go from, from honoring God with your lips, but having hearts far from him, and then it results in disobedience to the word of God. And then producing all these little schemes to make you feel okay about it. Producing all of these little religious rules and ceremonies that, that make you feel good about your sin. The results of this kind of, of living, of, of lips that honor God, but who have hearts far from them, it produces in a people, a people who do not keep the word of God, but instead they keep their own word and package it in religious packaging. But their hearts are far from God. Where do we see this in our day? Well, I think we see this all over the place where we see people relaxing the standards of God's word to accommodate the standards of sinful culture. That's where we see this in our day. We, we, we see at times churches that have perfected the external show of worship but yet they relax the standards of God's word to appease a people whose hearts are far from God. 1 John chapter 5, I want to read a passage here. 1 John, you all know this. This is uh, something that's very familiar. We've gone on, we've, we've, I've covered this many times before. 1 John chapter 5. The book of 1 John is written to a people who are struggling with knowing whether they are saved or not. They're, they're, they're questioning their salvation. And, and John writes to affirm them and he gives them test after test after test to, to know whether or not we are in the faith, to know whether or not we are true children of God. That's something I want to know. 
And so John writes this for this and for these people and over and over again, 17 times in this book, he uses the phrase, by this we know. By this we know. How do we know if we're children of God? By this we know, by this we know, by this we know. And so here he's, he's giving them another example of this. Verse two, by this we know that we are the children of God when we love God and what? Obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, verse three, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How how do we know that we're of the children of God? By this we know. We love God and obey his commandments. We don't find his standards. We don't find his word. We don't find his, his commandments. We don't find his law to be burdensome. We don't chafe against it. We don't read the Ten Commandments and say, oh, man. No, we say yes and amen. His commandments are not burdensome to his children. That doesn't mean that we will never break them. It doesn't mean that we will never be tempted into sin. And John deals with that right at the beginning, chapter 1 and chapter 2. He says, I'm writing to you that that you would not sin, but if any of you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So, so again, it's, it's not that we will never be tempted and that we will never break God's commandments, but that it is that the, orient, the orientation of our heart is that we want to serve God. We want to love God. We want to keep his commandments. We want to be in fellowship with him. We want to obey him. Not that I will be perfect, but it is the ultimate desire and orientation of my life. But here we live in a day where the church, where God's people, where across the pulpits of America, the standards of the word of God are being relaxed to accommodate the shifting sand of our sinful culture. This idea was snuck into the church some 40 years ago under the seeker-sensitive model. Seeker-sensitive church that said, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to offend people by God's standards, by God's law. And that's the one thing the seeker-sensitive movement had correct. The word of God is offensive to sinful humanity. They had that right. It is offensive. The law of God is offensive. But it shows us our need for a savior. Paul says, without God's law, how would I ever know that I was coveting? How would I know what sin was without the law of God? And so if the law of God is not preached, the gospel is not good news. It's the bad news and the good news. It's the law and the gospel. 
And through this whole seeker-sensitive model, this teaching as doctrine, the commandments of men, has snuck into the church. Remember in John 6 when Jesus had the multitudes? The multitudes were seeking after him, thousands of people. And Jesus begins to teach them, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, or you have no part in me. And the multitudes left in one day. They said, we don't want any part of this. The multitudes left. Jesus, when he got down to the essence of what the gospel was, the multitude said, we're here for the fishes, we're here for the loaves. He turns to his disciples, he says, are you going to leave me too? And they say, what did the true disciples say? They said, where else can we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. The, the multitudes fled But the true children of God in that moment said, Jesus, this is the best message you have ever preached. We want more of this blood and flesh stuff. We want to partake of you. This is where Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that to one, that the message of the gospel, to one, it is a fragrance from death to death. But to another, it is a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So what does Amos call the people to? He, 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 says, he says, God doesn't care about your feasts. He, he wants you to even stop playing your music. It, it is an offense to him. But he says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That the result of a heart that is turned towards God is justice and righteousness. Loving the commandments of God. Seeking to obey him. Seeking to follow him. Letting justice roll down. Pursuing righteousness in our lives. Not just with our lips, but truly from our hearts. So that worship is truly how we live our lives. Which brings us all the way back to our thesis statement at the very beginning of this series, which was Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul saying, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present even your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What do the prophets have to teach us on worship? The the same thing that everybody else throughout the whole Bible teaches us on worship. That it's not just about our lips, but it's truly about our hearts. And hearts that are tuned towards God seek to obey his word. And that we show our love for the Lord by our keeping of his word. And that his commandments are not burdensome to us. That he is the object. That he is the source. That he is is the, the target to which our hearts and our lives and everything we are doing and everything we are living. That it is geared towards him. And bringing our lives into faithful obedience to his word. And that is worship. And so this message that Isaiah brings, that Joel brings, that Amos brings, 
is one we need to hear today. It's one we need to be reminded of today. That, that our worship, again, is much more than the songs that we sing. Our worship is how we live. It is keeping his commandments and seeking first his kingdom. And when we live this way, when we live faithfully for him, what this results in is bringing a realness and a trueness to our songs that we sing. It brings a depth to our worship and a passion to our worship like we've never experienced before. When he is the one that we are living for. When we get to come into his presence and crank up the band and get the lights going and get the music going. Man, I've been living for him 24-7 this week. I cannot wait to sing his praises. You see, this, this thinking on worship, it doesn't diminish the, the, the gathering, the time and the place. In fact, it elevates it. It makes it a priority. I, I don't want to miss it. I, I need to be there. I, I want to sing God's praises this week because I've been worshiping him all week long. Amen. I invite you to stand with me tonight. Anytime you get into the prophets, you're going to have a heavy message. <laughs> the, the, the prophets do not have, they do not have light words. It is always weighty when you dive into the prophets. And so I know this is a weighty message for us tonight, but I, I pray that God will use it in our lives to bring honor and glory to him. Amen. Let's close in prayer tonight. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, you are the true and the living God. There is no God beside you. And Lord, you have called us to be worshipers, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray that you would press these truths into our hearts. Lord, that we would not be a people who only pays you lip service, Lord, we would not be a people whose hearts are cold, whose hearts are far from you. Lord, if there's anybody here tonight that is far from you tonight, that you would draw them to yourself, that, that your spirit would even begin to move upon their hearts. Touch their heart and touch their life as only you can do, in the way that only you can do. Lord, that we would be a people whose hearts are, are close to you, are oriented toward you, that, that we love you, that there's no other gods before you in our life. Lord, that we would live lives that show that kind of love by seeking first your kingdom, by by obeying your word and your commandments. Because your commandments are not burdensome, but they are a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. They keep us from so much harm and calamity and evil. Lord, continue to refine us, continue to purify our hearts and to purify our worship. Lord, that our worship would be not an offense to you, 
as in the days of old, but Lord, that it would be a sweet offering, an incense before you, that you would receive our worship offered from pure hearts that love you. Lord, that you would help us, Destiny Church, as a people, to be a people of passionate worship because we are passionate about our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.